MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, September 14th, 2020. Today, Judge Gleason files an amicus brief in the Flynn case, and it's a scorcher. Durham's number two resigns in protest over pressure from Bill Barr to generate an interim report on the oranges of the Russia investigation ahead of the election. The Democratic challenger to QAnon conspiracy theorist Marjorie Taylor in Georgia mysteriously drops out of the race. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman says he will break his silence Monday night on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. The USPS sends out disinformation to voters and is ordered to stop. And Bloomberg pledges $100 million to defeat Trump in Florida. I'm your host, A.G. (laughs) Everybody, we have a big show today. There's a huge A block. The lead story is bananas. I'll be speaking a little bit later with Andy Laufer about the Gleason amicus filing in the Flynn case. We will also hear from the UK's Edward Hardy. He's the, the host of the Hardy Report podcast. He'll have an update on Brexit for us. And today's Flip It Blue segment features Jillian Freeland running in Colorado's 5th District. We also have the good news block for you. And as you can tell by the introduction, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, the lead story today, and there was a battle. It was neck and neck for between a few stories. But the number one story here, I think, is that Durham's number two has resigned in protest over pressure from Bill Barr to generate an interim report on the origins of the Russia investigation ahead of the election. Um, we've heard from several Trump administration officials and uh, Trump himself about the Durham investigation in recent days, including White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who said in a press conference that he's seen much of the evidence, and we reported that on Friday's show before the weekend. Uh, and, you know, oh, nice of you to to discuss and open an ongoing criminal investigation, quote unquote. Thanks, Mark Meadows. Of course, Bill Barr went on CNN and and said that there's no such rule as the 60-day rule in the Department of Justice. Uh, And he was talking to Wolf Blitzer, and he was referring to the fact that the Department of Justice doesn't release uh, indictments or investigations or, uh, you know, final investigation reports, uh, which aren't really a thing. Uh, and, you know, when they, they don't do it within 60 days of an election. And generally, and we've seen this from a lot of, uh, you know, former U.S. attorneys who have been guests on our show, Joyce Vance, Renato Mariotti, uh, Mimi Roca, and um, Barb McQuaid. You, you don't really have a report. The inspectors general release reports, but prosecutors, they either indict or they don't. Um, and so it's just weird to to expect a report which would be due out after the election, but to then pressure people to file an interim report ahead of the election. That's uh, obviously um, trying to interfere with the election and util- you know, weaponizing the Department of Justice to do so. Um, and we learned uh, that Trump also repeated Obamagate conspiracies in his press conference over the weekend. And now we're learning that Durham's number two has resigned in protest over what she calls pressure from Barr to release that interim report on the findings in the probe. Um, and prior to the election, like I said, and the departure of, of, of Durham's number two, her name is Nora Danahy, a well-respected former federal prosecutor in Connecticut who rejoined the government in early 2019 to help Durham with this investigation, is likely to raise fresh, fresh questions among Democrats about whether Attorney General Bill Barr is pushing the case toward a public announcement to benefit President Trump ahead of November's election. 
that will file in the no shit category. They have that's I'm reading from the Washington Post. The no shit category thing is me commentating on that. Uh, they have long accused Barr of having political motives in his decision making surrounding the Durham probe. The, the Democrats have. Um, as have I. Internal tensions over the pace of Durham's work have grown in recent months as his investigators have pursued a wide variety of theories, hampered at times by operational limitations due to the coronavirus pandemic. And that's according to a person familiar with the effort. The attorney general and some of those around him have pressed for at least a partial result, while Durham's pending workload seems to stretch for months more, according to this person. Such tensions are not altogether surprising. Throughout his career, Durham has been viewed by colleagues as a thorough investigator, uh, but one who sometimes took significantly longer than originally expected to finish a case. Um, this, to me, sounds like what we've been saying all along, all the way going back to the Mueller She Wrote podcast. If Durham had anything, he would release it. If Barr had anything, he would release it. Barr traveled the globe on our tax dollar trying to get Australia to admit that Mifsud was some sort of, you know, CIA plant um, when, when, when he talked to Papadopoulos and Australia reported that to us. And, uh, he, you know, he went to Italy uh, to view a deposition by Mifsud and to try to get the Italian intelligence agencies to say that this was all a hoax and they wouldn't do it. And after all that, they didn't have anything. They didn't release anything. And Durham gets put in charge of this case. And he's an old mob prosecutor, right? He's he's a career guy. And he hasn't put out any findings. And, you know, obviously, um, the McCabe, quote unquote, trying to indict McCabe, uh, didn't go over very well. And a couple people lost their jobs over that, including uh, Jesse Liu and at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. And then, of course, now we're, you know, we're sitting here with, you know, Barr pressuring Durham and in his office so hard, so hard to release an interim report before the election that that Danahy resigned out out of protest and said it was because of the pressure of that Bill Barr has put on, on their office to come out with early results in 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 this investigation. I don't think they have anything. And so I think they're trying to make something up and they were trying to get them to push it out. It's it's unusual for somebody to resign same day on a Thursday. Generally, you wait till Friday. Um, but here we are. And, and I think that this resignation is going to taint anything that comes out of the Durham investigation prior to the election, especially if Bill Barr and Trump try to unilaterally release it themselves. You know that Bill Barr holds the keys to the declassification kingdom. Trump gave him that authority. He also gave him the authority to single-handedly approve or disapprove of any investigation into a political candidate for office or any of their staff or campaign staff or crew or aides or staff for those aides. So here we are. Uh, I don't think they have anything. Everything they've released has been completely debunked and is bullshit. Uh, it was cherry picked anyway. So we'll see what happens. But again, I don't think they have anything. And Judge Gleason has filed an amicus brief and another in the Flynn case, and it is a scorcher. And joining me today to discuss possible outcomes and what's in the brief is civil rights attorney and trial lawyer Andrew Laufer. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks again, Allison. How are you? I'm really good. It's great to speak with you again. And uh, I, I wanted to talk to you because I, I saw on, on Twitter that you had discussed 
potential next steps, uh, because we know, you know, it went all the way up through the court that Flynn was trying to get rid of the judge and force him to dismiss the case. And the en banc says no. And now we're at the place where um, Gleason has filed uh, this amicus briefing saying, sentence Flynn, you know, basically, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this is even a thing and do it now. And so I was hoping maybe you could just uh, briefly describe that, um, that amicus filing and what you think is going to happen. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, Judge Gleason, um, you know, wrote a phenomenal reply brief here. And, um, you know, he, he's really calling out the OJ on their malfeasance. Uh, you know, I, I almost don't want to call them DOJ because the frontline prosecutors and employees of DOJ, you know, uphold the law. Um, you know, this, they're more bar barists, I'll call them. Um, you know, are, are, are you know pulling these these antics uh, in, in a futile attempt, in my opinion, to, to get the uh, prosecution of Flynn dismissed. And it's just for one violation of, of um, 18 U.S.C. 1001, which is just lying to the FBI. And he's pled guilty twice to two judges, two separate judges. And he's also he signed a plea agreement saying that he's guilty. So, I mean, it's, it you know, as, as Gleason said, it's just a orchestrated campaign by the administration, by Trump, to get these charges dismissed. And there's absolutely no basis in fact or law to do that. There, there wasn't any mistakes. There weren't any violations of the law. Uh, of Flynn's, you know, constitutional rights. It's just pure, naked cronyism uh, and political games. Yeah, and and Barr even said, under testimony, he doesn't think there were any Brady violations here. And two judges and Flynn's previous lawyers have decided that he did lie and it was material. And Flynn said that he did too. And so did Trump because he fired him. And so, you know, so, I mean, we have all of this <laughs> piles and mountains of evidence uh, that Gleason outlines in his brief. And uh, so now here, so here we are. So what do you think Sullivan's going to do and what sort of timeline are we looking at? And and how will the administration react? I think that uh, Sullivan is going to follow the law and do the right thing and deny DOJ's motion. Uh, timeline, we'll see. You know, usually, you know, in cases like this, they expedite um, decisions. Um, you know, and I think that what that's going to force, it's going to force Trump's hand. He's either going to pardon Flynn, which I think he's going to try to do. I don't think it's it's a legal pardon because what Flynn was doing was covering up what, you know, Trump Trump's malfeasance. Trump, you know, they're all co-conspirators as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Flynn and Roger Stone, they're all co-conspirators. I mean, that's what, you know, essentially, you know, Stone was found guilty of. So as a co-conspirator, he can't, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, now this is not settled law yet, but I think it will be soon, that as a matter of law, you cannot, you know, uh, pardon your co-conspirator because that would act as a self-pardon. Mm-hmm. Okay? It would be essentially destroying a conspiracy. So, and, and conspiracy to commit a certain crime or any crime for that matter is a crime in and of itself. So I think that what will happen is we're already seeing signs of this in, with Judge ABJ, uh, Berman Jackson, in, in the Stone matter for Stone's commutation um, is that she's, you know, accepting briefing on legality of that commutation because who benefited from Stone's crimes that he was found guilty of? Donald Trump did. So the same thing here with Flynn. Flynn lied to cover up for Donald Trump. So I do not see any of this getting, um, you know, any of these pardons or commutations sticking. I see them um, being struck down at some point by the court. 
Yeah, I, I think so, too. And, and you know, we've spoken to Glenn Kirshner on several occasions that that corrupt pardons are corrupt and can be, uh, you know, possibly overturned. But like you said, it's never been legally tested. But, you know, right. we're, we're in very, very uh, new waters here. And I, I and like you said, it would destroy a conspiracy, you know, not destroy, but dismantle a conspiracy. Uh, and, and so, you know, maybe maybe we'll see that next year. Uh, who knows? But yeah. And one thing also is the pardon itself is a continuation of that, that conspiracy. Mm. It's being used to cover up the conspiracy. So you can even consider it another crime being committed. Obstruction. Right. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Tell everyone where they can find you, Andy. You can find me at Laufer Law and uh, Laufer Law Group, uh, Laufer Law on Twitter and Laufer Law Group on um, uh, on the internet. If you do that little Google search. All right, great. Thanks for joining us today. You come back on when uh, when when Sullivan makes a decision. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me, Allison. All right, thanks. Also this weekend, the Democratic challenger of the QAnon conspiracy theorist Marjorie Taylor in Georgia has mysteriously and quite suddenly dropped out of the race. Kevin Van Alstal has said in a statement, "quote I am heartbroken to announce that for family and personal reasons, I cannot continue this race for Congress." Citing how, quote, rhetoric has turned into dangerous extremism, like the candidacy of Marjorie Green, he continued, I will put every resource and every bit of knowledge into the campaign that comes behind me to defeat Marjorie and restore hope to the people of northwest Georgia. Green's GOP primary runoff victory last month put her in a strong position to win in the fall in Georgia's 14th congressional district, a solid Republican seat. This is according to Inside Elections with Nathan L. Gonzalez. While she is now running unopposed, the Democratic Party is able to pick a new candidate to run against Green, though I have read somewhere that their rules say that they can't do that within 60 days, but it could be up to the Secretary of State, who's a Republican. A major flashpoint in the district's Republican primary and general election has been Green's past promotion of the wild, unsubstantiated conspiracy theory known as QAnon, which I like to call Gruanon, Gru being the Kremlin. Although the theory is nebulous enough to invite all kinds of interpretations from its adherents, at its core, QAnon claims that Trump has been secretly fighting to bring down a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles that has infiltrated all levels of the U.S. government and other elite institutions. And I can't even read that with a straight face. Uh, Green has repeated and promoted QAnon theories and phrases. Uh, praising the mythical Q as a patriot in a video filmed in 2017 and describing the conspiracy theory as something worth listening to and paying attention to, she added, Q is someone that very much loves his country, and he's on the same page as us, and he's very pro-Trump. Uh, Trump congratulated Green on Twitter after her primary win, saying she is, a str- she is strong on everything and never gives up, a real winner. Marjorie Green has already declared victory in this race before the election on Twitter because her opponent has dropped out. Makes you wonder what made this opponent drop out so close to the election. I bet I know. I have some theories. My beans are he was threatened, and his family was threatened. And I think QAnon is a Russian op. So, those are just my beans. Anyway, next story, Lieutenant Colonel Vindeman. We all remember him. Key witness in Trump's impeachment hearings. Hero has announced on Twitter he will break his silence, quote-unquote, on Monday night on NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. You remember Lester Holt is the one who conducted the infamous interview where Trump admitted he had Russia on his mind when he fired Comey, and that ended up in the Mueller Report Volume 2 as a part of obstruction of justice. So watch that Monday, September 14th. That's today, if you're you're listening to this on Monday. And that's at 6.30 Eastern, 5.30 Central Time on NBC Daily News. Nightly News, excuse me. 
we will be watching. You can follow us on Twitter at Daily Beans Pod or at Muller She Wrote or at Allison Gill for updates. And check back on Wednesday's episode of The Daily Beans this week. We'll let you know how it goes. I'm sure you'll be watching it anyway. Also this weekend, Colorado's top election official has filed a lawsuit and a restraining order against the U.S. Postal Service over informational postcards she says constitutes election misinformation. Secretary of State Jenna Griswold filed a suit against several Postal Service executives on Saturday, including DeJoy, alleging that the post office intends to mail an official notice to all Colorado voters that provides false statements about voting in Colorado, which could have an impact on disenfranchising voters. Separately, she filed a restraining order to halt the Postal Service from sending out additional notices. At issue is an informational postcard that the post office has been sending out across the country to inform them about some basics about voting by mail. But election practices vary from state to state, and several details on the postcards are wrong or misleading for Colorado voters, according to Griswold. Last night, Griswold was awarded the temporary restraining order to halt the Postal Service from sending additional notices. And now the USPS is fighting that restraining order. They want to follow. They want to send out additional disinformation notices in the mail. Uh, you can follow Secretary of State Gina Griswold on Twitter at State for the latest updates in the case. And finally, from the Washington Post, former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg plans to spend $100 million in Florida to help elect Democrat Joe Biden, a massive late-stage infusion of cash that could reshape the presidential contest in a costly toss-up state central to Trump's re-election hopes. Bloomberg made the decision to focus his final election spending on Florida last week after news reports that Trump had considered spending as much as $100 million of his own money in the final weeks of the campaign. Uh, presented with several options on how to make good on an earlier promise to help elect Biden, Bloomberg decided that a narrow focus on Florida would be the best use of his money. The president's campaign has long treated the state, which Trump now calls home, as a top priority, and his advisors remain confident in his chances, given a strong turnout in 2016 and 2018 that gave Republicans narrow winning margins in statewide contests. This move is highly strategic. Here's why I think uh, Bloomberg is doing this. This will force Trump to spend more time and money and energy in Florida because Trump has to win Florida to get the 270 electoral votes he needs to win. But Biden does not have to win Florida. He has multiple paths to victory that don't include that state. And if you tie Trump up in Florida, that leaves him to ignore other key states that Biden could swing. So I think that that's what's happening here. And I'm thinking particularly Texas, Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, Ohio. I'm sure he'll get Pennsylvania. So that that is the strategy here. That is the chess game is to keep Trump occupied in Florida with money and time and campaigns because he has to win Florida to win the election. We'll be right back with Democratic candidate for Colorado's fifth district for the Flip It Blue segment. Her name is Jillian Freeland. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by PayPal. These are weird times with so many new challenges to face. Things may have changed around us, but our inner drive to be there for the people we care about runs deeper than ever. It's crucial to stay involved and support our loved ones, friends, families, and organizations that support us. When we come together as a community, we empower ourselves to make meaningful change as we're finding new ways to connect and continue supporting one another. Uh, we've started social distancing when we spend time with friends and explore local cuisine. Uh, and we're doing more to support and advocate for underrepresented communities. So what we need more than ever is an easy way to support each other from afar. For me, the solution is PayPal. With the PayPal app, sending and receiving money is fast and easy. Stay connected with people you love and quickly and securely send money to your friends and family just about anywhere in the world. 
Start a money pool to split the bill. Go in on a gift or fundraise for a good cause. With PayPal, you can support the places and causes you care about most. Recently, I donated to Act Blue, and I was also able to send financial support to friends of mine in real need during this time. And with PayPal, I can instantly donate to a local nonprofit or support a cause from across the country. With PayPal, you can even make touch-free QR code payments at your favorite local restaurants or farmer's markets. PayPal is making it easy to pay safely, quickly, and easily. So download the PayPal app today. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody, it's time to flip it blue. And joining me today is Democratic candidate for Colorado's 5th District. She's a mom, an entrepreneur, and a board member for various local district organizations and programs. And she is running against incumbent Republican Doug Lamborn, who's held the seat since 07. Please welcome Jillian Freeland to the show. Jillian, thanks for speaking with me today. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. One of the biggest pushes for candidates who are new to the, the world of politics is getting our voice out there because a lot of times especially as moms of young children, we're kind of counted out. But what people aren't accounting for is that we work hard. Moms hustle faster than anybody else. And we also support each other in a way that's really amazing. There are a lot of young female candidates that are running here in my district. And we basically have our own little support group. (laughs) Because (laughs) it's challenging. And Mm. You know, I don't think anybody realizes what it takes to run a campaign. And so having each other to lean on and also to look to the future and see what kind of uh, legislation that we can create that complements our work at different levels is really exciting. Yeah. And, and it's so great because here's here's how we we got in touch with you is because, you know, I, I had tweeted out, hey, we want to bring back the Flip It Blue segment. We did it in 2018. And um, I need everybody to, to to tell us, I need our listeners to tell us who you would like to hear from. And so we had uh, a lot of folks who listen to our podcast say that they really wanted to hear from you. And so we reached out and, and made it happen. So I'm so glad you're here today. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. That gives me hope and makes me want to work even harder. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, you know, you're so right with single moms and, and all the women running um, for 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 the house right now, we really have to focus on the house. Keep the house, flip some seats, and I'm and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your district, Colorado's fifth district. Can you talk about some of the challenges facing your district, and uh, that you know, especially under um, under the quote unquote leadership or representation of your Republican incumbent, um, you know, opposition? Well, this district has historically been Republican. Up until 2018, they were the strong majority. In 2018, it actually became a majority unaffiliated district, just by a little bit, by about 1,000 voters. But in the last two years, those numbers have surged. Uh, More than 8,000 Republicans have left the party, and nearly 50,000 new unaffiliated voters have registered. And so now we are strongly unaffiliated, which to me says, ready to elect someone other than the incumbent. And I think one of his mistakes in this district is that he's not interested in listening. And to me, you cannot bring the values of a district, you cannot understand the struggles of the people that live here without talking to them. And my foray into politics actually started with activism, because 
as a women's health care provider, we kind of have a segment uh, of people who have faced challenges historically, and specifically in the maternal mortality realm, we have a lot of work to do. And so I went to his office with the intention of sharing my experience as a healthcare provider, because I was so frustrated with fighting insurance companies to get my patients the care that I knew they needed. And when I went into his office, his staff was not interested in talking to me or the incredibly diverse group of constituents that I brought in, including uh, veterans, people of different faiths, and they told us it's not his job to represent everyone, and that doing so would actually compromise his morals. And I just found that to be deeply disturbing. I mean, the job title is representative, <laughs> and, and it just baffles me. It is his job to represent everyone. It is his job to represent everyone. He's clearly failing at that. And and I mean, it sort of kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, the Republicans and this administration and their messaging being we don't represent uh, Democrats. We don't represent all of you. And 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 especially the the just the the condescension and the, you know, calling people suburban housewives and. And and it's just it's got to be so infuriating, especially as a medical professional. And by the way, thank you for your service in that area. But you, uh, your platform here, you you support universal health care and and guaranteeing comprehensive reproductive care, eliminating deductibles and copays. Uh, and and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about some of the things that you would want to start day one when you you know when you uh, you know obviously when when you get there you got to listen and learn for a minute but you know once you get your <laughs> once you get the ground under your feet what what are some of the things with healthcare that you would really like to to work on we're not cent- centered on patients in this system we're centered on uh, we allow insurance companies to run patient care and that doesn't result in good outcomes and when we look at the data Our country has the highest maternal mortality and morbidity rate in the developed world. And so shifting the way that we care for pregnant people is going to be a high priority. And that begins with comprehensive sex education that is based on inclusion, not on fear-mongering. Because one of the things that shocked me as a provider was the number of people who couldn't name their body parts. And to me, if we can say elbow, we can say vulva, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we should not have any shame around this. So first and foremost, we need to empower people to understand their own bodies. And to do that, providers need to have our hands untied. One of the things, I was, I was speaking to a local uh, birth center owner here, and she was telling me that her malpractice insurance is forcing her to stop accepting clients that have had a C-section previously. This goes against the evidence of of what we know provides the best outcomes for moms and babies. When we have a model of care that is driven by an insurance company's bottom line, their natural tendency is going to be to deny as much care as possible. And this is something that as I've done outreach to other healthcare providers, I'm hearing over and over. One of the most fascinating stories was a woman who was a doctor in the army and practiced with them for 20 years. 
and was very accustomed to a model of care that the doctor says, you need this medication. The person goes and picks it up. There's no copay. There's no argument about if it's covered or not. They just get the care that the provider knows they need. She became a private practice doctor after leaving the military and was immediately confronted with all of the barriers that we put in front of people. And she talked about prescribing a medication that helps women who are going through menopause. And the insurance company had a copay set of $500 a month. A lot of people on social security, they are receiving less than $900 a month to live on. That's more than half of their income. And that's not serving people. And so by putting more healthcare providers at the table when we write policy, by ending the practice of having insurance lobbyists and people who work hard to restrict access in particular to reproductive health care, we can start tracking people into services that actually help them, that solve problems, that empower them to take care of their own health. Because one of the things that happens, you know, a lot of times providers are scheduled appointments every seven minutes. That's not enough time to have Mm -hmm. a deep conversation with someone, discuss their stress levels, their eating habits. Are they getting exercise? Do they get outside? These are all things that have measurable impact on our healthcare, but we're not set up to focus on those things. It's get people in, get people out. And my childcare provider was actually a nurse and she burned out because of that model of care. She wasn't comfortable with just Mm. get people in as fast as they can. And and so now she's a member of my team. (laughs) Right. It's a turn and burn profit center to them and and instead of healthcare, which is where it should be focused. And and I know that a lot of these, you know, this these mortality rates that you talk about especially impact women of color, which is an important block, a important community that's just been completely Mm -hmm. left behind. Um, by the Republicans. Now, I want to look at, because healthcare trickles down into everything, right? It helps us with our, our mental health, our ability to earn income, our ability to be contributing members to society. And and once that these basic building blocks are in place, it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Once you get these basic things in, like I'm a veteran, I have free healthcare and I got free college, and now I'm a, a, a an extremely... Uh, contributive member of society, mm-hmm. you know, and, and because of those things and everyone should have access to those things. And so then I, that kind of makes me want to pivot over to the economy here with you. And and I also want you to address because the economy is also very tied into healthcare, but it's also tied into uh, environmental mm-hmm. issues. And so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your, your plans for the economy. Well, I think you touched on something very important there. And I'd like to talk about the number of jobs that have been lost through the COVID pandemic. Uh, many of these job losses are going to be permanent. And it is in especially dangerous to take people's health care away in the middle of a pandemic. And because we have our health insurance system tied to employment for so many Americans, we are leaving people vulnerable. We're leaving families vulnerable during a a pandemic that has killed over 190,000 people already. And as we move forward, 
we have to make conscious decisions about how we stimulate our economy. And I think that the cash payments and the boost to unemployment was incredibly important short term. There is still a need for boosted unemployment, which actually the need to increase our unemployment rates is a strong indictment of our federal minimum wage not being sufficient to meet the needs of people who live in the country. There is not a single state in the union Mm -hmm. that our federal minimum wage can support a family. And the point of the minimum wage is to be a living wage. And so that is something that we need to update. We also need to look to history. We have faced recessions and depressions like this in the past. And the way that we dug ourselves out was through infrastructure spending that creates federal jobs. And we're facing a crisis in terms of climate change right now, as we are watching the West Coast burn. Colorado has had huge wildfires this this year as well. Our sun was orange on Monday because of the pollution from all of these fires. And we followed that up on Monday, it was 95 degrees. And on Tuesday, it snowed. And so these colossal swings in our weather patterns are just going to get worse if we don't take the steps we need to address climate change. And so here we have two pressing needs that are related to each other. And we can create federal jobs programs to invest in infrastructure. So address the crumbling roads and bridges that we have and install rapid charging stations for electric vehicles because these are what's coming. We need to prepare for it. We also have a lot of work to do in terms of our building practices. And a lot of people don't realize that there are many adjustments we need to make to our current buildings, as well as the way we build in the future. One of the biggest energy wastes in our buildings is leaky windows (laughs) and inefficient uh, (laughs) HVAC systems. And so updating these things creates jobs deals with the problem. We also have a really fantastic example of the changes that we need to do right here in Colorado Springs. Our utilities company is municipally owned. And so every five years, the public has a chance to weigh in on our energy portfolios. And I was part of these meetings. Uh, I believe that public participation in government is our civic duty, and it's also our power, and we shouldn't give that up. And so over the course of the year, the community showed up. These are boring meetings, very process-oriented, and they were standing room only because people showed up to say, we need to close the coal plant that's burning in the middle of our downtown. It is polluting a low-income neighborhood. We have the highest rate of pediatric asthma in the state. And because the public demanded it, They are closing the coal plant by 2023 and replacing it with renewables. And there was actually an NPR piece. They interviewed the president of the board and he said, you know, the advisory board actually recommended we go with a portfolio that installed new natural gas generation. But because the public showed up and said, we want renewables, that's the direction that we're going. And it's not going to cause any job losses because we need to be deliberate and recognize 
we cannot leave people who have been powering our communities through fossil fuels behind. They have been providing a great service to our country. They can be a big part of how we transition. And these are good paying jobs. They are union jobs, which is a high priority for me. My campaign is actually the only unionized congressional campaign in the state. And we did that. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, it, it protects me as an employer and it gives my employees more say over their working conditions. To me, that's just being responsible. And so the federal government making investments in the infrastructure that our entire country needs and that our planet desperately needs if my children are to have a healthy planet to grow up on. Yeah, you're right. And uh, exactly what you're saying. All of these things are interconnected and we have a chance. You know the old phrase, kill two birds with one stone. My, my mom says uh, we have the chance to set four birds free with one key. You get the health care for everybody. They participate in jobs, disc, you know, uncouple jobs from health care. You have uh, you can create jobs in, in, you know, green and renewable energy and, and fixing infrastructure uh, and also at the same time combat climate change. And, and none of that can happen with climate deniers and people who don't think that health care is a human right. So I really appreciate your platform. Uh, and I think I can't wait um, for everyone to to get out and vote and, and elect you and see what you can get done because it's it's so important and everything is interconnected. So I was hoping you could tell uh, everyone where they can find information about your campaign and where they can contribute. It's all easy to find. My website is just my name, JillianFreeland.com, like Land of the Free. There you can learn more about my policies, you can sign up to volunteer, and you can contribute financially. Uh, and this year, voting isn't enough. I think we all recognize the importance of voting out the Trump administration and all of their enablers, but campaigns are community machines. And if people don't get involved, you know, I mean, I am super mom, <laughs> but I, I can't talk to 500,000 people. I need my community members to step up and make calls and send texts and write postcards. And I'm very grateful to how many people have stepped up. And I'm inspired by the number of people who are participating in the process for the first time. So just kudos to all of you who are stepping up and keep getting involved because it is crunch time now both in terms of coming up on Election Day, but also the future of our republic. Uh, very well put. Everyone, Democratic candidate for Colorado's 5th District. And we're, I'm, I'm so honored to speak with you today. Jillian Freeland, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. We'll be right back with the host of the Hardy Report podcast to discuss the latest developments with Brexit, Edward Hardy. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Thrive Market. If you're like me and you've always juggled work, home, life, fitness, and eating healthy, I recommend becoming a Thrive Market member. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable. Thrive Market delivers organic and sustainable groceries right to my door, and it's made working from home and my daily life so much easier. You can find everything you need from organic and essential groceries to clean beauty, safe supplements, non-toxic home care, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. Shopping with Thrive Market is healthy without the hassle. You can easily shop uh, by 70-plus diets and values. You can look for keto stuff, paleo, gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, fair trade, certified, BPA-free, and more. 
skipped the store and the lines. I've ordered food, wine, bath and body products, and even pet supplies. I recently got this Thayer's facial toner with rose petals and witch hazel. I love it. Uh, I, they've got these amazing keto chocolate sea salt bars called Dang and Dang. They're incredible. I love Thrive Market because you can get such a variety of organic, sustainable, non-GMO and fair trade goods from a company that cares about animal welfare and carbon impact. Thrive Market is good for you and the planet. Orders of $49 or more are shipped for free and delivered with carbon-neutral shipping from their zero-waste warehouses. Enjoy guaranteed savings and member-only prices. Thrive Market members save an average of $32 on every order. When you join, you give back. Through Thrive Gives, their one-for-one membership matching program, every paid membership sponsors free uh, a membership for a low-income family. Thrive Market has exclusive offers for our listeners. Go to thrivemarket.com slash dailybeans. Join today and you'll get a free gift of your choosing, up to $24 in value. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dailybeans to start your risk-free membership and get a free gift today. That's thrivemarket.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, joining me today, this is a treat, joining me all the way from the UK is the host of the Hardy Report podcast. If you need to keep up with what's going on over there, I highly recommend this show. Edward Hardy, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Thank you for having me back on. Uh, there's been a, an awful lot happening on both sides of the the Atlantic since we've uh, we last spoke. So it's... Uh... It, there, there's just never-ending politics in both situations. You think it's calming down, and it's just not. Yes, our our cross-pond politics uh, are are interesting, and, and they seem to be fueled by the same group of a-holes. So we will see. Uh, I think it'll all come out eventually, maybe in a decade or so. Everybody be patient. But um, what we were talking about last week, and, and we reported on this on the Daily Beans, was that there, there was a minister that resigned over language in the upcoming uh, report that was due out last Wednesday. Uh, and and they were basically saying that what you know these changes violate international law. Uh, and this is with regards to uh, Brexit and a couple of different issues within, uh, you know, the proposals. And I was hoping, first of all, you could clarify for us what it was supposed to be originally and what it was changed to in this language and how it's being received now that the report is out. Well, so basically, Boris Johnson's internal market bill, as it's known domestically in the House of Parliament, is aimed at their position is that this is aimed at ensuring that all four nations of uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland can trade freely with one another after the UK leaves the European Union. Um, In order to do that, the government has basically said they now need to override part of the withdrawal agreement treaty that was signed with Brussels as part of uh, the whole Brexit process. Uh, And they're claiming that this is a safety net, this is their their approach, that if there is no trade deal, they need to ensure that all of these nations can continue to trade freely. Now, originally, the uh, agreement was that to protect the um, peace process between Northern Ireland, uh, uh, you know, in that sort of region, they were going to allow, because uh, obviously Ireland, completely separate, is still going to be in the EU, Northern Ireland would no longer be so. To prevent a hard border having to be put along between those two nations, which would interfere with the peace process, the agreement was Northern Ireland uh, would still be able to trade freely with with Ireland and the EU, and there would be a hard border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom. That was where they were putting it. To pre- and now, basically, the UK 
has gone, we don't really like that approach. We always knew that they didn't like that approach. They'd made it very clear they weren't happy with it, but they, they agreed to do that with the EU. And now they're saying we don't like it and we're going to pass domestic legislation because these are our nations uh, to essentially override that. And that's where this massive disagreement uh, has really come into play. Uh, and it's something that this is not a partisan issue over here. As you mentioned, a minister resigned over it. We're seeing people in the Lords from the House of Lords uh, on all sides of the political spectrum pose this. People, former prime ministers coming out. It, it really isn't a, a partisan issue here. It's a case of that Boris Johnson's so focused on Brexit that he's just willing to override what was agreed in a, such a blatant manner. What does he want to make it? B, does he want to not allow Northern Ireland to trade with EU and the UK or does he want to move the hard border? What is what is the new uh, what are the changes that, that, that they want if they don't want what it was and everybody knew they didn't want what it was? What what do they want? It's always been the case that it's a kind of have your cake and eat it situation, which is that they don't want a hard border at any point between nations in the uh, UK. But they also don't want a hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland because of the concerns there. So their their whole view is they want to create this sort of uh, situation where in some way Northern Ireland is still connected to the EU with no hard border and at the same time the rest of the UK can be trading freely, which just does not work. But that's not Brexit. It, exactly. And that's not <laughs> that's not Brexit. It's basically they want to leave the single market but be part of the single market, uh, you know, leave the EU but still be able to trade with the EU in through that border essentially. It, it's not Brexit. Well that's a really great idea. You shouldn't have voted for Brexit then. Well this is the this is the point that a lot of people make. It's all <laughs> of Brexit people And the and the weird thing is is that that's probably cool with everybody, but then everyone was like, well we didn't even really understand what leave or you know Brexit was uh, we still want to be able to trade and, and and work and not have a visa and travel freely. I mean, you know, COVID aside, let's not even talk about that shit show. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of what we wanted. You tricked us. And, and by the way, sorry about Steve Bannon. He helped out with that and, and Emmer Data it, and it was all, Analytica the, and Nigel Farage. All linked. It's all linked to these sorts of you know, that people are convinced of a, a political situation. They're, they're conned into believing that what they're being told, this sort of land of sunshine and roses that has never existed and can never exist, is a possibility. And it's just absurd what they were being sold, because essentially they were being sold this the whole time. And the EU was like, this is never going to happen. There is no way we can fundamentally have this because part of the single market is that you have to adhere to all of these trade regulations. And this is, again, part of the issue that comes down to is that, you know, I I realize that some listeners now like, oh, God, he's about to go on about trade. But no, but they don't want to. Right. They're like, we don't want to. You know, it it sounds like a really mundane issue, trade, but it's a a huge part of this problem. This is where it fundamentally Mm -hmm. lies, is that being in the single market. It means that you have to follow certain rules and regulations as part of trade. If if you're going to be able to send things across borders without tariffs and so on, you have to adhere to certain rules and certain regulations. That's just common sense. Any Well, that's the cost of being part of the EU is to have to negotiate these deals and be in it, etc. And, and uh, you know, it sounds like 
uh, Boris Johnson is like, well, we don't want to do that, but we want everything else. We want all the benefits, but we don't want uh, all these. Exactly. Yeah. It's any trade deal. You have to adhere to rules. You look at sort of the agreement between Mexico, Canada, and the United States. There are rules those nations have to follow with the trade they do between one another. And you have to do that. And that's why the UK still wants a single market, but at the same time wants to be able to set its own rules and regulations and take its own approach. And you can't have both. And that's really where this dispute has come in. But you, you know, you look at sort of the the outrage that's occurred here. It is completely warranted by individuals that know what went on. I, I mean, we've seen that in the Sunday Times, uh, Sir John Major and Tony Blair. Uh, Sir John Major was the former Conservative Prime Minister. Tony Blair, former Labour Prime Minister, have written how the government's actions are quote irresponsible, wrong in principle, and dangerous in practice. Because what's happening here is beyond, and these are two individuals, by the way, who were heavily involved with the peace process and what went on there uh, in Northern Ireland. So they really understand this. They're not just uh, political individuals who are anti-Brexit, as people might uh, uh, dismiss them as. They're individuals who know what went on there. And they're highlighting how you are going into this situation and not only are you putting the Good Friday Agreement at risk, you're fundamentally undermining the credibility of the UK because other nations are going to go, you signed this deal and then you renegade on it when mm. it suited you. So why should we trust you in a future trade negotiation? And when you're about to enter a huge trade negotiation, you really can't afford to be putting the reputation of your country at risk. Yeah, and 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 that's what that that's all by design because it makes it look like the people are arguing against the EU when in reality they're arguing against Brexit. The same thing happened here in multiple different scenarios, particularly I'm thinking of of China. Uh, and the quote unquote, the China trap where, you know, uh, Trump says uh, China is bad, they're terrible. And the Democrats are like, well, wait a second. First of all, they didn't laboratorially invent this virus. Second of all, uh, we don't want to impose these tariffs. Third of all, and then and then they can turn around and say, oh, you're friends with China. You're a communist now. You're supporting communism. And so that's by design. And all of that grand planning, the dissemblance or the dissembling of, of Western alliances and NATO and trade amongst us comes from one motherfucking place. And it's the Kremlin. And we have Bannon, Emmer Data, Cambridge Analytica, Niall Farage, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump to thank for it. And it's all this process of essentially isolating nations. So Brexit was, you know, in in its very design was about taking the UK out of this uh, group of nations that have been brought in to stabilize and increase camaraderie and, and build relations in a way that benefits everyone. That was what its design was to be in the same way that NATO exists, in the same way the UN exists, all of these international organizations, um, you know, even if you go just to the the basic level of relations between countries uh, and going into seeing these be fundamentally torn apart. And it's the same as what you're seeing in the US. Uh, You know, when Donald Trump goes out there and he slates these allies or he um, attacks nations like Uh, China while praising nations like North Korea. It damages relations that have taken, you know, a whole country's lifetime to build up. And it it means that even when 
the next person comes into office and takes over and starts to do that work, it's too late. The damage has already been done. And so it's all about isolating, uh, you know, these groups on a wider sort of grand grand scheme of things. But but it, it comes down to leaders that just don't recognize that you can't just go around and do what you want when you want. You, you, you are either an isolated nation, which is a, an absurd thing to push for, or you're part of a relationship with others. And you can't renegade on trade deals. You can't uh, go into things with bad faith. And that's what's happening in the UK here. It's what we're seeing in the US. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're sort of, you know, the same approach that they're, they're taking there, really. Yeah, yeah. They, they preach isolationism. They preach nationalism. They're anti-globalist. But then when it comes down to the economy and how much money they're going to fucking lose, they're like, oh, but we want this. We want a little bit of this globalism, please. We, we don't want to, you know, totally uh, nix that out. Oh, oh, I see. So you're you're saying that, what you know, the, the way that Russia, China, North Korea want us to behave might be bad for us. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's it's truly, truly mind boggling. I'm very interested. What do you what do you see happening here? I mean, where are we with possibly a second referendum? Uh, are are there going to be investigations? I mean, this is break. This violates international law. Part of the problem that we have in the UK is because it's a parliamentary system, because of the setup that, that exists, it's very hard when a party has a strong majority like Boris Johnson uh, does to hold investigations to block their actions. So whereas if uh, you know Donald Trump tries some outrageous uh, approach um, it doesn't work here it, either. You can't you yeah, you can't get that through, you know. But in the UK, you've got a situation where Boris Johnson ha has a huge majority. He will get this into law. There is no doubt he will get this into law because uh, if he presses ahead with it, because he has a strong enough majority that even though the House of Lords can delay and disrupt it, eventually, uh, because of the way it works, after uh, three times they can reject the legislation and then it has to be accepted. So he will get this through. It's just a matter of time and how much damage it does in the process. So while he's in office, and certainly for the next few years, by which time it's obviously going to be too late um, to, to do anything about this, it, he'll be able to uh, essentially act with impunity, you know, because we rely on the party to remove from power uh, between elections their leader, the prime minister. Um, we only get to do it in um, in the elections every few years. We don't really have a power to, to hold them to account. So it relies on their party and, and the Conservative Party showing zero interest, really. Uh, there's, there's individuals who will rebel, but the majority of the party is showing zero interest in, in investigating or holding to account or preventing actions like this. In, in which case, in the same way the Republican Party is, in the US, they are complicit in these actions. Anyone who allows it to go ahead is equally complicit in what goes on. Mm, yeah, very true. Uh, though our election, uh, depending on how tainted it is, um, I think gives a lot of power to the people. We'll see what happens um, here. And you keep us posted on what happens over there. Yeah, you'll come back on? Definitely, definitely. There's going to be a lot that goes on with the whole Brexit process as, as this uh, plows forward as we get to sort of the reason this has all come to a head and, and the reason this has become so important right now is because we're getting to a stage where there is a high chance of a no deal Brexit. We, you know, you mentioned about sort of what the likely outcome is. The most likely outcome right now is 
a no deal Brexit, although the EU is famous for its last minute, uh, you know, five minutes to midnight signing off of deals to, to address sort of problems like this. It is famous for, for doing that. But right now, it, that's where it's heading, because Boris Johnson, this oven ready Brexit deal that he told us was there and how simple this would be. It's all proven to be complete nonsense. Mm. And so that's where we're really heading. So there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about, even once that's that's occurred, really. Um, Brexit is something that, that's going to be decades that this will be going on and the fallout will be going on for. So uh, certainly it would be great to come back on. There's going to be plenty to keep talking about. And uh, hopefully it distracts your listeners from from <laughs> the chaos that's going on where you are for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah, it will take comfort. Um, and, you know, at some point they're going to run out of time and, and you'll be here to tell us all about it. So thank you very much. Everybody, check out the Hardy Report podcast. Um, it, it went, how often does that come out and where can people find it? We're coming out now. We were for a time doing two episodes during uh, lockdown, but we're now doing back to doing one. So it's uh, every Sunday it comes out uh, at about 12 noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, it, it's released and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you know, places like Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, if it's not available on the place, I always recommend people uh, come to me and, and DM me on Twitter or tweet at me at Edward T. Hardy and let me know and we'll make sure it goes up there. Um, but the Hardy Report podcast, if you search it in your podcast app, uh, hopefully it should come up. And uh, yes, every Sunday uh, we had uh, Brian Karam, the uh, senior White mm -hmm. House correspondent, famous for clashing with Donald Trump uh, and his administration is our guest for this week's episode. So it's definitely one that I recommend people uh, have a listen to. Wonderful. And you get the added benefit of listening to the silky smooth vocal stylings of Edward Hardy. So thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, host of the Hardy Report podcast, Ed Hardy. We will speak to you soon. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for supporting The Daily Beans. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Caliper CBD. I can't stop singing the praises of CBD, and it's really stressful these days. We need to practice self-care, but taking care of yourself shouldn't add to your anxiety. It should take it away. And the great thing about CBD is it helps you feel better without having to make drastic changes to your routine. CBD has helped me feel more calm. I'm sleeping easier, and I feel less sore. And my favorite thing about Caliper is they've introduced a better way to consume CBD. It's an easy-to-use powder, and unlike oils, Caliper powder is completely tasteless. It mixes easily in food or drink, and it's precisely 20 milligrams in each packet, so you'll never question how much you're taking. I like to put it in my morning coffee or my post-workout protein shake, and it is clinically proven you absorb 450% more CBD with powder than tinctures. That's crazy. That's such a huge difference. And Caliper CBD gives you all the benefits of CBD in just 15 minutes. That's twice as fast as oil. And Caliper is completely THC-free, so you get all the benefits of CBD without any intoxicating or mind-altering effects. Caliper is made with all-natural non-GMO ingredients. There's no fillers, no added chemicals, or artificial flavors. So take care of yourself, but make it easy on yourself to do so with Caliper CBD. Get 20% off your first order when you use promo code DAILYBEANS at trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. You can try Caliper risk-free for 30 days. If you don't love it, they will give you a full refund. That's trycaliper.com slash dailybeans. Don't forget promo code DAILYBEANS for 20% off your first order. All right, everybody, hang on to your hats. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way.
Thank you so much for making it through this episode. So much news today and so many great interviews. And now we're finally at the good news segment. And I want to thank everybody for submitting your good news stories. You can submit your good news stories at dailybeanspod.com. You can also submit quarantine confessions there and any corrections that you have for any mistakes that we make. Um, As you know, I'm not a lawyer, uh, just a comedian, but we still want to make sure we have corrections out there. So just go to dailybeanspod.com, click on contact, and then you can select either quarantine confessions or a good news story or your corrections, or you can just say hi, however you want to do it. And uh, we appreciate you sending those in. And thanks to our patrons for supporting uh, this show, you guys and and gals and other, um, they them make it totally feasible. Otherwise, I you know, we wouldn't be here. So thank you very much. So let's get to the good news um, submissions. We don't have any quarantine confessions today. It's all good news. So that is really awesome. Uh, and let's start with uh, a good news submission from at Sassy Butterbeans on Twitter. A great name, by the way. And um, there's no pronouns here. So I'll just say they say after hearing Jordan's interview with Dan Whitfield on the Flip It Blue segment from the August 3rd show called called Take a Racist's Job, I immediately shared the podcast with my friend who lives in Arkansas. She's a small business owner in Batesville, and I know uh, she would want to get the word out to vote for Dan after hearing the interview. I just heard back from my friend via text and I wanted to share it with you. I'm very excited that even when I don't live in a state with just a text message, I can get others to help flip them blue. Here's the text message. Just finished the podcast. Corrupt as fuck. Dan has my vote. I'm logging on to ReplaceTomCotton.com. Fuck that dirty dog. And Leslie Rutledge is trash as well. (laughs) Nice. Thank you so much, Sassy Butterbeans. Everyone follow at Sassy Butterbeans on Twitter. Um, That is really good news. And it just, see, it just takes a text message from, you know, to your friends in in other states. And if, you know, if you want to do any text banking or phone banking, you can go to volunteer.dccc.com. Org and um, they will set you up with uh, a state and candidate or district or precinct in need. And you can do it from, you know, the comfort of your own home. So anyway, uh, on to the next bit of good news. This is from Melissa. The pronouns are she, her. And she says, great news. I have submitted my dissertation for my master's degree. This feels like an especially big accomplishment because quarantining has made my ADHD so much worse than before. It has been such a gamble trying to get anything done during the pandemic. So I'm still kind of in shock that I've actually done it. Congratulations. That is a huge, huge accomplishment. I remember handing in my master's thesis and my doctoral dissertation and especially the dissertation because, you know, it's so self, you you have to have this like self-discipline, like you have to do it yourself. There's no class, you know, you can't like, there's no deadlines. You just, it's up to you. And so uh, I'm so, so proud that you're doing this and that you got it done. And it must feel like such a relief because I remember when I got my dissertation done, it was like this cloud had lifted off of me after two years. Um, and because of my PTS, it took a little bit of extra effort and a little longer than it, you know, probably takes most people to do. But it got done, and you did it, and congratulations. So we look forward to getting a good news story about your uh, getting your degree. So let us know. Next up, from Bridget Eileen, pronouns she, her. Uh, and Eileen says, truly blue wave comes to the ocean state. This is a long but wonderful saga. Here is a hopeful story about the power of acting locally to make real change. My state, Rhode Island, to the outsider, seems like a very blue state. However, there are a lot of the local politicians 
that are actually dinos, Democrats in name only, as in vote against they vote against gay rights, abortion laws, eco-friendly policy, as in also act like miniature autocratic frumpy pants wannabes. (laughs) Said dinos are also the ones with the most power in our state party and in our state legislature. Up until November 19th, we were the most active caucus in the state's Democratic Party. We stopped being that because we had to leave the state party and form an unaffiliated Democratic Women's Caucus. Why? Because they changed the party rules to make it harder for us to fundraise, release our own communications without their permission, have our own leadership structure, and, to this story's point, endorse candidates in the primary who were not endorsed by the party as well. So we left amid a lot of clamor. And instead of detracting from any political clout we had, that move, in fact, energized our already fired up membership. We grew in the hundreds and we raised thousands of dollars. Attendance at meetings doubled and sometimes tripled, even despite the pandemic. Zoom meetings, by the way. We also spent most of the money we raised just recently on the candidates we endorsed for the primary election, which was Tuesday, along with a network of several other progressive organizations and a slate of women and male allied candidates who are uh, inimitable in their abilities to relate to future constituents, their passion for progressive issues, and their compassion and heart for improving this state. The majority of our endorsed candidates won, beating 10 incumbents and state party endorsed candidates. Yes. The general election will still be a bit of a battle, but the big but the really big race in such a blue state is the primary. And we are on track to make huge progressive changes in who holds the power in the state and who makes policy in the coming two years. It was a shit ton of work as the PR comms chair. It's like having an unpaid part time job. But oh, my God, it's worth it when it pays off like this. It's incredible. I moved here three years ago and nothing I've ever done has felt more faded. To be able to help make such a positive change with so many amazing people is profoundly satisfying. To contribute, go to actblue.com slash donate slash rid R-I-D women's caucus. So that's actblue.com slash donate slash R-I-D women's caucus. That is so wonderful. Um, and the link will be in the newsletter, everyone, so you can help contribute there. Bridget, Eileen, amazing work. It's it's truly incredible what we can accomplish when we just put our nose to the grindstone. So thank you for that. Um, next up from anonymous pronoun she her. Okay, ladies, I'm pretty sure this is good news. I listen to the beans religiously, and I also use it to expand my vocabulary as I'm not a native speaker, but I try. Last month-ish, I reached out to the podcast to get resources for women who might be in abusive relationships. I hesitated for so long because I didn't want to take assistance from women who might be in more dire need. But after I got a phone thrown at me, it missed. I thought this might qualify as an abusive relationship. I immigrated here on my own, and while I have friends, I do not have family, so I do not really have that support system. So I thought maybe I should get some help. Either way, I got a response. Thank you. With the names of foundations that can help. I needed help break the si- I needed to I needed help to break the lease because I lived with my ex and thought it was a situation I needed to get out of as soon as possible. I did not use any of those resources. Uh, I scrimped and saved and was able to sign a lease for a 500 square foot studio apartment. I know it will feel so spacious just since I don't have the weight of my ex on my shoulders. He was a decent man, but an alcoholic, and that was his problem. I never thought I could have a life without him. He was my everything, but apparently things are turning out to be easier than expected. Okay, so that's my good news. I've never lived alone. I just turned 32, and I feel so empowered. Nervous, but empowered. Uh, One kind of funny thing. He is the one who broke up with me the day after his phone missed my head. He actually had the audacity of giving me the reasons why I'm not worthy. 
Number one, he could not go through the roller coaster of my citizenship process. It was too hard for him. Number two, which was so ugh, was that I am too passionate about politics. I'm not a citizen. I can't vote. So I do vent from time to time. He said he's too chill to care and that I'm too intense. Apparently, throwing phones is chill, but passionate about politics is crazy bitch. That's it. Phew, I've never said that to anyone and it feels good to do so. AG, you are a goddess and I want to be as confident as you are. Fuck. Jordan, man, I wish I could do fart noises and feel okay about it. I'm way too shy. Um, well, thank you so much. I'm glad that you got some resources. I'm glad that you're moving out. And I know... I know what you mean by, you know, 500 square foot studio apartment, but is going to feel so spacious since you don't have the weight of your ex on your shoulders. And your strength is admirable and you're very brave. And um, please keep us informed uh, on how it goes. And I just I want to give you a big hug, virtual hug right now. So thank you for sharing that. Next up from Jen, pronouns she, her. Jen says, I live in southern Oregon, where I just, down the road, 600 homes have been destroyed and over 25,000 acres have burnt just in our county. Normally, we live in an extremely divided community with extremely right-wing Trumpers and far, far left liberals. But the last two days have seen a heartwarming change. Businesses are opening in unaffected areas, giving away meals, clothing, and supplies. The schools and churches are opening to shelter those who have evacuated. My mom is a COVID triage nurse, and one of her coworkers lost their home. I know many other families who have lost everything, but our community is showing its best and supporting those in the valley. We are currently still on level two, be ready warning, but our neighborhood came together two nights ago to make sure everyone who needed to get out uh, got out. A huge thank you to uh, the first responders and firefighters who have worked nonstop for more than 48 hours to protect lives and livelihoods. The next weeks and months will be hard, but we will get through it as a community. Jen, thank you um, for sharing that. That's these it's it's incredible to to see us come together like that so thank you for sharing that that is very very good news despite despite what you know what's going on around us next up from drew pronouns he him hi ag jordan we miss you I've listened nearly every day since the way back in the early MSW days. I was an advanced staffer for Senator Sanders in both 2016 and 2020. Think event producer, but on ridiculously short timelines. <laughs> yeah, and Sanders events are no small feat, by the way. The last five years have been an absolute roller coaster for my emotional and mental health, but your podcasts have been a stabilizing force. I wanted to give a signal boost to the Biden-Harris Professionals Network on LinkedIn. Now we all know that Trump dominates Facebook, but what you may not know is that he's uh, dominant on LinkedIn, too. Polite liberals and progressives have treated LinkedIn like a dinner table with unspoken no-politics rules when the orange troglodyte has amassed a substantial presence. Now, here's the good news. A buddy of mine got fed up with that situation and started this group, the Biden-Harris Professionals Network. It's only In only a week, we have had lawyers, nurses, union workers, marketers, people from all walks of professional life have come together and we've hit the ground running. We're utilizing our professional networks to do what we can to turn out votes in swing states and protect enfranchisement. If people want to get involved here during these last 4.8 Scaramucci's, that's about 2.18 Flynn's for those who use military time, <laughs> please join the Biden-Harris Professionals Network on LinkedIn. Invite your friends and get involved with the action that's happening on there. President Obama just told us all the other day, whatever you've done so far, it's not enough. So let's fight like our future depends on it. 
Drew, that's awesome. Never thought to go over and try to usurp LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent work. And thank you for sending in that story. Next up from Kelly. Um, pronouns she, her. Kelly says, amazing news. A very difficult period of financial freefall during this shutdown. I found a job. I graduated with my master's degree and $100,000 in student loans in December, but I couldn't sit for my board exams to become a registered occupational therapist until March. The shutdown in my state started literally two days later. Because I wasn't employed before, I was working full-time for free as a student, <laughs> I couldn't qualify for any pandemic relief. I didn't even get a stimulus check. It's been very difficult. Uh, it's been a very difficult time trying to continue paying my mortgage without income. Though COVID delayed the exam results, I did pass and got my state license soon after. But then almost every job had vanished off the market as the healthcare field recoiled from the crisis. Anything I could find required two or more years of experience to even submit a resume. I started desperately applying to daycares, rehab tech jobs, even work to work at the unemployment office as I burned through every dollar of my savings. Last week, a part-time occupational therapist job opened up very close to me, and I jumped on it. Unlike the many places that ghosted me after I applied, the owner of the company called me within two hours. We had a formal interview on Zoom. The next day, they offered me a full-time job working with kids in schools. This is literally my dream job, and while I'm totally a fish out of water jumping into a new role without other OTs to guide me, I am so thankful for the opportunity to serve these kids. The schools I'm working in are doing 100% virtual learning except for the kids with disabilities who require in-person services in order to access their education. All the kids are so great about wearing their masks and cleaning their hands. It's heartening that even these little kids, who are frequently underestimated by adults, to be honest, can manage COVID precautions pretty well. Now we just need to get the adults on the same page. Through the shut Though the shutdown has not been easy... I have had some upsides, including finding your podcast. I have become more uh, and more loudly political. Many postcards have been written and much text banking has occurred. One of the schools I'm working in is about an hour away from my house. Uh, so I'm thrilled to have such a great, such great listening for the trip. Thanks to you and your whole wonderful team. Wow, Kelly, thank you so much. And I'm so, so excited because it was a part-time job, right? And then they called you up and they said, nope, it's full-time and you get to work with kids. Uh, that has to just be an absolute dream come true. And I'm so happy that you have this purpose because I mean that, you know, and, and I know this is a weird connection, but that's what Biden sort of talks about when he, you know, when he had gone through the tragedies he had gone through, he said that the one thing that got him through was purpose. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that you found yours. And finally, a submission from the Royal we, no pronouns given. The Royal Wee says, my dad can finally visit my mom again at her, at her memory care facility. They've been apart for six months due to the pandemic. She got her hair done and put on lipstick. He held her hand while she napped. Tonight, they're going to watch the sunset together. I thanked God and cried after I hung up with them. That's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. Reminds me of the, like a movie. Um, gosh, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And thank you, everyone, for submitting your good news stories. Please, again, head to dailybeanspod.com. Submit your good news stories, personal or political, either one. And you can also submit quarantine confessions and corrections. And we'll get them out on the air. You just let us know if you want to be uh, referred to by your name. You can give us your Twitter, Twitter handle and then drop your pronouns. And we'll make sure that we get that right as well. Um, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We will be right back tomorrow with probably more of a giant fire hose of uh, news. So... <laughs> Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G., and them's the beans. 
The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.